The Dancepreneuring Studio, Session 60. No worries with this accidental artist. Five, six, seven, eight. Hello and welcome to Session 60 of The Dancepreneuring Studio. My name is Annette Bone, and The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. Every other week, I get the privilege of bringing you some of the best and creative minds who are connected to the art of dance, and they share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. Since you had me the last two weeks, we're just going to go into the feature presentation, which is my interview this week with Sarah Arnold, who is the founder of Tutu Chic Sans Souci Printables and the website The Accidental Artist, which I just absolutely love. And Sans Souci, I found out, means no worries in French. So I thought it would be appropriate to title this session No Worries with This Accidental Artist. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, my name is Sarah Arnold. I'm a ballet teacher and founder of Tutu Chic Originals, and also the website The Accidental Artist, where I discuss ballet technique, tips, and ballet conditioning. You're listening to another session of the Dancepreneuring Studio with Annette Bone. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. I'm so thrilled to bring you my next guest. Sarah Arnold is a former professional ballet dancer, ballet teacher of 30 plus years, who's directed her own schools as well as the company school for Ballet Idaho and numerous other schools and is currently on the faculty of Pacific Ballet Academy in Mountain View, California. She is an entrepreneur who runs Tutu's Chic and Sans Souci Printables. Her site, The Accidental Artist, is an eclectic mix of her love and expertise for ballet, DIY art printables, and ballet fashion. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Awesome. I am very excited, as always, with my guests to get into these questions and to see how you think and what your mindset is being in the dance world and being in the entrepreneurial world. I love the statement that you made. Ballet is a science and complex with many exceptions to the rule. The rule is the student. Can you describe that in terms of comparing your admiration for the Russian prima ballerina Anna Pavlova, as well as now being the focus on Misty Copeland? And these are two different ballerinas. What would you want to say about that? Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify what I meant about that the exception is the student. Because what I have found is that as a dance teacher, we have to take students of all different sizes, body types, abilities, flexibilities, ages, and so when we're working with them, we have to be very, very flexible and open to whatever works. So I just feel that the best method of teaching is precisely what works. So I feel that the, te- the, the student is teaching us, so to speak, um, because we learn from each experience. And as ballet has developed, it's become more scientific in terms of relationships between the physics of dance, the biomechanics, the skeleton, all these things. I don't think teachers really paid too much attention to in former days. So that's what I mean as a science. We can look at it more precisely and communicate with the students with those words. 
which some don't like because I feel it takes the artistry away. So there's like a whole other topic there. But so the exception to the rule is the student because it's not predictable. But that's what keeps it interesting uh, for the teacher and challenging <laughs> and inspiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I went to college while I was dancing as well and majored in psychology. And one of the reasons I decided not to go on to study to be a psychologist was I was so frustrated with everything was a gray area. So you could say maybe that's sort of true in ballet too. I mean, there's a gray area. There's not like a black and white because not everyone's the same, but it's a bit different because you can make decisions on your own regarding students' progress and make your own assumptions and see improvement. And, you know, it becomes black and white because there is a solid improvement besides the challenge of just trying to figure out the puzzle. Whereas I felt in the other field, it was always going to be a gray area. So it's frustrating. That's an aside. Now, in terms of comparing... Russian prima ballerina, Anna Pavlova and Misty Copeland. When I think about that, I actually start to see the similarities rather than the difference. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, in the context of the times. So Pavlova was part of the newly founded Ballet Russe. So in her time, she was quite a different ballerina than her predecessors who were doing more coquettish roles and more strong-bodied. She came along and was actually pretty frail, had the long neck, a thin body. A lot of people thought she, I think she was too thin and really arched feet. And so sort of her body became what is the um, prototype of today, even though we say that Balanchine shaped a lot of it. I do believe that's true. She just happens to fit into that look more. But she was pretty different in her time. And she was a book lover. She was more introspective. And a lot of those other ballerinas, and I can't say their name, Matilda Krusha something. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I cannot say Russian Danes very well. <laughs> Excuse me. But she, you know, a lot of them, including in Paris, you know, they, they were um, mistresses and, and fashionable, lively women. Pavlova wasn't like that at all. She'd rather read a book. So and, she, and also she was dark and brooding looking. And I think her forte was artistry. She could jump though. She could move fast. She could, she could turn. I saw her movies at the Legion of Honor Museum in San Francisco in the eighties. And I was just enraptured with the whole exhibit. I saw her point shoes, her costumes, lots of photos of her. It was really inspiring. And I always, you know, remember it as a high point. And then Misty Copeland, I see them similar because Misty isn't fitting the mold of her predecessors, but I think she's being accepted. And I think part of that has to do with America, a certain portion of America being athletic, like her body, maybe it looks more like a runner's, but it's very, she very much looks like an athlete. Um, and that reflects into the, the idea that ballets become more scientific, but I would say for sure Misty has that body naturally um, and she's worked so hard to cultivate it, but they have that in common that they were different than their age of the people before them. So I hope that makes sense. And, you know, and uh, I think that impact of an important dancer does change the future for others. Yes. I, I really, I, I liked how you explained that because what I was thinking of is, you know, I see 
Pavlova, I saw just the, fr- you know, when she was doing the dying swan, I thought, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, that's so different from Misty and her mm-hmm. her strong athletic body. And so I wanted to yeah. see, and I really liked that you, um, that you saw, you saw more of the commonalities mm-hmm. based on the time that they are, uh, that they're dancing. And so I appreciate you sharing that. Describe the mindset that you want your students to adopt when they train with you. What do you focus on that you see that resonates with them and takes them to the next level? The first requirement I've always felt right when I felt, when I, right when I began teaching rather, was that they be open. As a late starter in ballet myself, I had to be open to learning everything and anything and I always feel that when people say, that's the wrong way, there's only one method, this is my way. Oh, you can't combray forward that way, that's the wrong way. I think, then I'm out of here. This is the door that's shut now for me, <laughs> you know? Because you have to encompass so much to become an artist and to become a, a beautiful dancer. You have to take all the scientific and the artistry. So I never would put the science above or below the artistry but I feel artistry is innate and you can't really teach it you can enhance it but so when I work with a student I want them to be open because they cannot be closed off to a way that could work for them they have to leave their ego aside and I feel as a teacher I have to leave mine aside as well for this this interaction that is a, a coming together of two uh souls basically what I feel I share with the students and what I love about it when we have those aha moments is it cross all the generations, you know, because we share this passion for dance. It doesn't mean if this was 1850, you could feel that way. If yes. I am 70, I could feel that way with a 10 year old. <laughs> because yes. it's, it's like, uh, I don't always, it's, what do you call it? Um, it's cross generational, but it's, it's everywhere. It's just exists this sense about dance. And uh, that's what the passion we share with the student is the most wonderful thing. If they're closed off, it means to me they have a preconceived idea. You're not going to be sharing. So that's over. And then I expect them to be committed. I expect them to be consistent. I've kind of mentioned the lack of ego and a willingness to try things different than they might be used to in order to make progress, open to new ideas. And uh, something I've been developing for a few years is goal planning. And one of my most popular posts on my website, DexAdentalArtist.me, is one on how to improve without going to class. So it's got sort of, you know, a catchy title. Like, well, what does she mean by that? She's a ballet teacher. But what it is is planning out your goals outside of class so that you can implement these in class and in your life so you can improve rather than just kind of going to class aimlessly and doing the same thing every day. <laughs> yes, I uh, that's fantastic. I totally agree on that. And we will definitely link all this information in the show notes because it's just incredible all the things that you cover. The mind and body connection is so important as we were talking about in dance and other things. Compare and contrast that when you first started dancing to now, you know, you're a teacher, you coach people. How has that changed? What's remained the same? What kind of lessons would you like to share about that? Well, when I first started dancing, I've felt that it was mainly you copy the teacher or the best students. My teacher was good in terms there were some hands-on physical manipulation, like do this, feel that. Um, and she even had a really genius idea of, um, say, we were doing a Adagio at the bar. She would have us divide into two groups and stand there opposite the other student and fix them because she said, well, 
if you can help them, then you really understand. I thought that was a great idea. Yes. But, but there wasn't an emphasis on feel the movement and breathe and experience this. It was more just the outward physical manifestation. You might feel the muscle, but you're not different level to improve. So I feel that that's changed because I will ask my students to um, sense what to let go of in their body as they're working and what to be in tune with what they're feeling. Uh, I think that's especially important in anything that becomes stressful, like an adage, use the right muscles, don't use everything. Um, and in stretching, be mindful of what you feel is holding on to maybe in your leg or in your back and try to let go. Tell your mind to tell your body to let go because that's tremendously powerful. But I believe that that has come to ballet later. That's a new thing. It might have been in other things for sure, you know, meditation and all that. I always wondered how those people would walk across coals, you know, they have to be <laughs> mind somewhere else. Maybe that's similar to point shoots. <laughs> Put your mind somewhere else and you will not feel that box that's too small. But um, yeah, I, I use that mind-body connection a lot because I, I know that our memories are made from, uh, uh, with our muscles from repetition and a kinesthetic awareness. And if you must create those what I'm not a physician or anything, but I know some sort of neural pathway is going on there. And that's why I don't really encourage students to work by themselves at home. They might be creating the wrong one, the wrong kind of habit. Yes, I, I agree. I think the the whole mentorship thing in well, dance and everything, it's so important to have that feedback, especially from someone who knows what to be looking for. And, and I love how you talked about, um, about the feeling of it and not just the mechanics and how it looks aesthetically. I love that. Mm -hmm. And especially with ballet, like you yeah. said, it's not something that's been around for since the beginning. And so the being having that developed within your your teaching and within the ballet curriculum, I think it just makes you that much of a better dancer and and help you improve that much faster. Right. I think. Yeah, because basically, I've always felt that the student trains themselves. I went, yes. Yeah, I went. I started late, and I had my basic teacher when I was in high school. When I started, and then I went to college, and I took some people, and then I went out, and I I kept going to companies in short term because I wanted to have a better experience or learn more. And I felt like you have to seek out what you need to know. It's not always up to the teacher. It isn't up to the teacher. The teacher is yes. just your guidepost for now. And they, they're not responsible for your improvement, but they sure they all want to, you know. But yeah, so back when I was taking, there were, there were terms like pull up, grip your butt. I mean, what? We don't say that anymore. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and I think that David Howard was one of the first person people that said, you know, lengthen. Don't, you know, not, pulling up just made me, you feel like you're going up, up, up. I'm going to float away. And, and I always felt so unstable because my back was flexible and I didn't really feel strong that way. So it kind of had to lead to all the things that I teach now. Like the, I'm very big on ballet conditioning, um, the right areas for the student, however he or she may need it. But, you know, now instead of that gripping thing, we, we might say about their using your rotators. And yes, and I always felt like that if you have the language and the student understands where the, the muscle is, then they can react quicker and improve faster. Some teachers, they don't like to use such scientific precision 
precise language. And I, I, I understand, I can relate why, because I think they feel it takes away the artistry. And sometimes those images and those words may work, but they don't work for everybody. So that's why I think as a teacher, we need to know what works for someone. If you don't see that working, then maybe you do use an image. But I do think it's best to know the words. In fact, I just bought a, a DVD or, or it's actually like a, a download off the Internet called the Progressing Ballet Technique. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes, I have heard of it. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I was in this adult ballerina Facebook group and someone mentioned, oh, that's what I really want for Christmas. And I was, thought, what's that? So I looked it up. I bought it. I was like, well, it wasn't really very expensive. And because I'm always looking at ways to increase awareness in the dancers, especially on the, in the one-on-one lessons. And her theory, as you may know, was with, she started with younger students and helping to them to find the muscles quicker using this ball. And that speeds up their learning curve. Why not use that? And then they go to ballet class and they go, yes, use this, you know, use your transverse abdominis or use your rotator, use your, you know, whatever, you, whatever you want to say, your lats or something. And, and then to, you can add the imagery on top of that because they really can't dance like a calisthenic or gym person. You have to have, I feel you must have both. Yes. I, I love that you talked about both of those things. And it reminded me of teachers and whether it's ballet or another genre of dance that I've experienced myself where some of them don't count. They use sounds and oh. then others don't know how to count and just know lyrics. And I think as an effective teacher, you need to be able to employ all of that. Yeah. Based true. on, because not everybody relates to the counts. Not everybody mm -hmm. relates to those sounds. And so as an, as an effect, at, at least I think so, as an effective teacher, you need to be able to communicate all kinds of styles based on what the student needs. If, if your goal is to really help them to get to the next level. And so I love that you talked about that. And for me, what works well too are, are uh, visual analogies. I love mm -hmm. concepts like, you know, painting with the floor or uh, yeah. like the just a lot of adjectives. I love yeah. when teachers use adjectives yeah. and analogies. Yeah, because those, those add quality, a quality yes. to the movement rather than just a muscularity, yeah, or a location. Yeah, you have to, you really have to have both. And so the idea of whether you can count or you can take a melody, different ways of transforming the music for your student, and you have to know both ways, it's really true. And I learned as a teacher, you have to be able to cue in to your student. If there's a problem, they're not picking up something you don't understand. It goes back to school, school teachers. They, they taught us a lot. Is this person a visual learner, auditory learner, a combination? How much of a kinesthetic learner are there because not everybody is i find that best dancers or people have an easier time learning dance are kinesthetic they feel the sensation they know how to cover the space with their body you know that's an inherent thing but yeah i have a student that i worked with last year or so and she had a tough time picking up combinations and it turns out that she has some an ability to pick up because of a way her brain transforms the information so i i noticed it and talked to my mom and I found out I said it makes a lot of sense I had another student about 20 years ago that also always did everything opposite like turn on it on she'd go on the or on her right foot she'd be on her left so I thought is there such a thing as a physical dyslexia ah I never really found evidence to it but I I really thought there think there must be I wish someone would let me know <laughs> let us know if that's true but you know she went on to be a surgeon 
So the, the interesting thing is that those kind of things for a child can make them feel dumb. Just frankly, like, I'm not as smart as everybody else because I keep getting the wrong leg. And so I think, I don't want that child to be in that situation. How can, how can we help them, you know? And, and so you can put a little rubber band, tell God to wear something discreet, like a hairband on their right hand. So they remember that's the right side if they're going to reverse. But I don't know if there's a physical dyslexia. It seems like there must be because I see it in dance every, every once in a while, you know? I'll tell you about it. One out of every 50, I'll see that in them. Like you were talking about the neural, something with the neural pathways too. There's yeah. got to be something that's just not firing correctly. And I'm sure you'll, yeah. you'll figure it out and then you can write up, you can, you can teach us all about it too. <laughs> when I go, go into neurosurgery, I'll let you know. My next, my next life. <laughs> well, you've already started these businesses. So let's yeah, go, let's true. talk about that. Take okay. us through your journey of, of creating uh, Tutu Chic and Sans Souci printables and the Accidental Artist. I just love how you mixed your interests all in one. Can you tell us about your, your journey with creating all of that? Well, I appreciate you saying I really love I mixed it into one because that was my dilemma was how would I put everything I love to do in one place? So I, that's why I came up with the idea of the accidental artist. And in fact, that name came from because I never really felt like an artist until I went through a divorce and... <laughs> My husband's friend said, well, of course you didn't really get along because you're an artist. And I said, what? Why is he saying that? <laughs> I look back and I think, oh, well, I guess that's all I've done in my life. And when I finished dancing and I, I thought I'd go into something else, maybe I should go back and finish my psychology and get a master's. I took a um, call it an interest test, a career test at a, at a local college and it came up with artist, musician, artistic field, but they didn't have dance on there. And I said, oh, geez, I'm stuck doing this. I guess this is my personality. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> because I always thought the artist is this, like almost being called a ballerina. It's something high up. You have to achieve it. But now I see that there's personality traits in people that are, you know, this way or that way. But um, so then I thought, well, I guess it's, it was an accident. <laughs> it just kind of happened. And um, so when I was a ballet teacher, I started making these little tutus for this event called Tea for Tutus. It was a fundraiser for a youth ballet company at Ballet Idaho. And Mrs. Simplot, who was a, a big benefactor, or still is, of the arts in Boise, Idaho, she had the idea for the tea. So I thought, well, I'll make some little tutus and sell them at this event. And they, I made 20 and they went like hotcakes. So then I started putting them up on the wall at the studio and selling them. And then when I moved back to the Bay Area, my new husband said, well, gosh, wouldn't it be neat if you were kept making those and you could just have the postman come to the door and pick those up and you could sell online. And I was like, Oh yeah, right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's a idea. I mean, who, who would get to do that? And so then Etsy came along, you know, and I thought, Oh, that, that's a pretty neat site. And so I put up some listings and they were little girl tutus exactly like I've been making, but people started writing me and saying, well, I, I want one of these. And there were women. And I thought, but you're not a dancer. Why would you wear this? I just thought, this is so absurd. What? And so they said, well, can you line it so I can wear it? So it became the tulle skirt. This was in 2009. And now that's like a huge fashion item for mm -hmm. all these years. And my mother kept saying in her <laughs> kind of typical way, oh, Sarah, that's just a fad. It's going to go away. Prepare yourself. I said, yeah, I know. Well, okay, you're probably right. And it has not. It's just the funniest thing. So that was really fun. That's how I started Tutu Chic. And, you know, they're not ballerina tutus. They're for fashion. And the main source of my customer base is weddings. 
uh, flower girls wear them, which I think is adorable. And in fact, in 2010 or 11, Martha Stewart Weddings contacted me and had me send one to New York and they, they put a picture of one in her wedding magazine. Oh, cool. I know. It was so cool. <laughs> I was just laughing to myself like, I used to always watch this program when I was raising my girls, Martha Stewart. And, and she watched one of my little girl skirts. And uh, I've had people buy them all over the world. It's really fun. I get to know lots of different people. Australia was my first biggest country outside the United States, which was very interesting and very, very friendly people. I'd like to go yes. there. They um, are fantastic. They are. I am biased toward Australians. They are them and Canadians. Every yeah. Canadian and every Australian I've met personally, they've just right? been so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's what I felt like. I, I thought, yeah, they're just so friendly and, and kind and supportive. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Sanssouci printables was just sort of an outgrowth of. I just thought it was so fun to create digital designs online. And I used to draw and paint as a kid and even as a, through high school and a little bit as an adult, but gave that up when I had my first daughter because I was using oil paints and I didn't want to expose the baby to that. So I, I quit that and was busy. And uh, this, this is just, I started doing it as a pastime and I thought, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could sell these and I could have a passive income when I retire. I could get the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when I'm retiring, but it's a good idea. <laughs> but I really love it. It's a fun little, it's a fun creative outlet. And doing that has enabled me to make, um, you know, images for social media and for my accidental artist websites. So whatever, whatever it is, it's, uh, it's been advantageous and a fun experience. I just love that the accidental artist encompasses everything that you are and that you didn't have to say, well, I'm just going to focus on this and I'm just going to focus on the ballet aspect of my life. And I think it just works well together. I love that you you. just, just combined all that. And it's just, I love it. I love the content on your site. I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm going to go through um, what I call the dancepreneuring quick steps. So there's three quick questions Mm -hmm. and you just have to tell me what comes to mind first. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Style of dance you haven't tried but would like to and why? <laughs> I, it used to be tap because I thought it would be so fun to move my feet fast. And then now uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe fun to learn, learn something like salsa or tango that was a little more uh, wild but controlled. Like you could get another element of yourself. Be free but still beautiful. That's, a, yes. a, that's kind of flowing. But I, I don't want to be ballet. Yeah. That that's I think probably I like to learn the tango. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. I had actually uh, a couple months ago I interviewed one of the top tango couples in oh. the world, and that seems to be the dance that everybody hasn't tried and wants to that Is they want to get. Oh, yeah, which cool. I'm not surprised because I do too. I really? think it's such a beautiful, like you said, it's very freeing, but there's mm-hmm. a control to it, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like this, like this give and take. There's a tension there, like. Between yes. man and woman that like in real life there could be, you know. <laughs> I think it's pretty sexy. And, and I don't think of ballet as particularly that way, but I think that's fun. And um, I don't know, maybe way back with a little bit of my Spanish blood or I guess that's Argentinian, but <laughs> still <laughs> sort of Latin, I guess. <laughs> uh, have you actually tried it? No, I haven't. The closest thing I've gotten to was, uh, was like this fusion ballroom with, well, they, what he did, what he, what he did is he combined ballroom with like hip hop and hustle. Oh, 
Jeez. Yeah, so it was really cool. He has this like yeah. signature style. It's really a lot of fun. I want to do it again. I just haven't. I love partner dancing. I just don't mm-hmm. do it enough, you know. Yeah. But, but tango is very is the popular answer of what people want to try. Wow. <laughs> At I least know. on this podcast. So yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Who is your favorite dancer and why? I know one of them. We talked yeah. about her. <laughs> is there anybody else? No, there really isn't. I think that when I was younger and dancing, I had, I think I had lots of dancers I wanted to emulate. I remember Ekaterina Maximilova. I loved her. Um, Pavlova has always been in the back, always been in the forefront of my mind. She's always been there. But now, now recently, I haven't seen her dance in person, but I have been inspired to um, see Natalia Osipova because of her jump. I think she's an amazing jump. But I, I don't really think that, I think it's a mindset. I, I don't, maybe because I <laughs> egotistically, I don't identify totally as a dancer anymore. So I, I take ballet classes with adults and I have a wonderful, a couple of wonderful teachers, but yeah, I don't, that's not my aspiration. I know that sounds silly, but you know, that's really singular in a way, but there's so many beautiful dancers nowadays. I know it would be so difficult to pick. That's yes, basically. There are. And for different different reasons, like there's some dancers, it's like, oh my goodness, you could feel everything that they do. They yeah. may not be the best technically, but you their performance quality. And then there's another dancer, of course, that where their tech their technical ability is just crazy, and so you admire mm-hmm. them for that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I totally get what you're saying about that style of dance that currently describes your day and why. <laughs> well. I have to say it's probably still ballet (laughs) because I get up in the morning, I make coffee and I turn on the classical station. Um, I'm kind of hyper. And so I need like to have that call music in the background. (laughs) So like, and in terms of ballet, I love Petit Allegro, which Mm. suits me that way. When I was a student, I loved the Dodge because I think that's because I was beginning and I could stay, I could stay on top of that, (laughs) but I loved it. And I, you know, I used to have a nice line, but, uh, you know, not so much anymore. <laughs> oh, I no, I bet it's still better than most. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, like, I felt like I could do Adagio all right when I was younger. So I think I like it. But now I like Petito Lego because I think it's sort of, I like, I just, yeah, it suits my energy. That's what it is. It suits my energy level. And uh, uh, I do like, you know, I do like some popular music and artists like I, I like Lady Gaga I think she's so gifted but I, I don't like turn on certain CDs or radios and listen to particular people regularly other than just the I like oh I have to say though um Ludovico Ennati I love his work and I would say I guess he my I, I don't know what the categories are but like neoclassical because his mm-hmm. music's kind of classical but it's new it's so soothing and beautiful Italian Italian composer. Just just gorgeous music. I do love that. If anyone wanted something new. Yes, yes. We'll have to link that in the show notes along with yeah. all of your other information. Didn't you say that you also, I don't know if you still feel this way, but do you still not like turns? <laughs> <laughs> turns are my nemesis. I, I think, yeah, personally, I'm still struggling with turns. You're out. My age, I'm still, but I am better at figuring them out. I remember as a dancer, someone taking me aside after class, another 
dancer who was kind of like a ballet master and just sitting there with me and telling me what to do over and over and doing it. And it wasn't working. Now I feel like I've really torn it apart, analyzed it so many times for different people. And now in the last five years, I'm analyzing on me. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to to sense that those feelings again and try to replicate it. So I just wrote a blog post recently about pirouettes. And my next one is going to be about a follow-up to it on what people who are natural turners say and do. Because it's it's way different than people who are not natural turners. But they but one thing we have in common is that we're all trying to make a turn predictable. So it's an interesting contrast. And recently, uh, yesterday was the Youth America Grand Prix, and I worked privately with a student for a year on her entry in that. And she's a natural turner. And I did a I bought a smartphone six last summer so that I could use slow motion in teaching. So this is this is an I think an awesome tip for other ballet teachers that they yes. have on the camera. As I was was encouraging her to try a triple pirouette consistently on point. So I filmed her because turns happen so fast on point that I was not exactly I mean I could say, Oh yes, you're going backwards or your hip, you know, this or that happened. But seeing in slow motion, you can see exactly when it happens, kind of why it's happening, and they can see it too, which I think a picture is worth one million words. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I like that technique and I le- learned a lot. I put it up on a private face group. And, you know, by the way, your parents are fine with it. And um, <laughs> they they had a whole bunch of things they saw, too. And I thought, this is so interesting. And I just, you know, I told the girl all of the things we saw. And I just, yeah. So therefore, as a student who works with me, they got to be humble and open again. You can't be like, well, I, you know. I don't want to be critiqued like that. Oh, no. No, no. It's okay. We're all in the same boat. So no one, no one's arrived yet. <laughs> totally agree with you on that. And I just love this journey, though, being an entrepreneur, being in the dance world. Mm-hmm. What, you know, regardless of age or level, it's so gratifying to be able to learn and learn new things and find out Absolutely. things that work for you and that don't work and just the whole process and the experimentation of, and like what you're saying about the goals, getting your goals clear and written outside of class. So you know that when you are in class or when you are training Mm one-on-one, your time is um, put to good use and you're intentional and you're focused. And so you can get to the next level. So I love that. Yeah. And you know, my personality is not one that wants to do that. So I, and I'm sure a lot of dancers aren't like that. They just want to be in the moment and do it. Like most artists, I would think like that. So it's really hard to commit to doing that. But I know, I know it works, even just putting a few things down. Um, like I've said, you know, most student dancers, if I ask them what they want to do, it's always something like, I want to be able to do 16 fuetes. It's always something very concrete and almost to me superficial, like, what? That's what you want to do. But that's okay. Because it, I never say that's superficial, but I think that's a good goal. Let's take the step. There's a lot of steps to getting there. So yes. not just practicing that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just repeat the same thing over and over. That's not working. You might have to dive in here a little bit and see a new light. One, I do want to say one of my main inspirations rather than a dancer has been a teacher mentor of mine named Maria Vey. She used to work for Harkness House with David Howard and came out West and was director of the Marin Ballet um, ah. for a number of years. But she was the one that told me that uh, Joanna Neeland and her and David, I 
think, were involved in some project in Florida where they slowed down videos of dancers who could turn well and saw what they did versus the ones who didn't turn well. So that kind of mindset for Maria got me definitely going in the direction that I have in my teaching. So I would say that's the greatest influence on on what I do. And my legs um, as dancing have a little bit of tibial torsion. So she taught me, you know, how to present yourself with just the right line and how to work the muscles. She always said, and I found this incredibly inspiring, was you can change your muscles, but not your bones. Well, at least you can do that. Yes. You can change your muscles, which are going to turn your muscle, your bones a certain way to give you an advantage. You know, so I thought, I like this positive attitude and potential idea rather than going to someone saying, oh, look at that. No, you can't be a dancer. You know, that kind of stuff crushes people. And while that may be true for maybe that particular genre or maybe that particular body, that doesn't mean they won't be involved in that genre in some way. You know, and I don't even like to say that. I feel that's the decision of the individual. And that isn't that what Misty was told? Wasn't she told she could be a dancer because of her body? Because of her body, yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. you know, what if she listened to that? That's ridiculous. I started ballet at 15. I'm sure a lot of people thought, you're crazy. You're going to try to be a dancer. I did. I wasn't in any major companies because I started so late. But I feel that I had an experience that I'll never trade for anything. But my greater interest is really in still figuring out how to and that's what I had to do starting late. So that led me down this path. <laughs> well, it's incredible. I love, I love this path. And I love, you know, you've given so much value through your businesses and just the, just the wealth of information and what you've been able to pass on. I'm sure your students feel the same way. And I'm so excited to be able to share this. And if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Well, if they want to connect with me, the main and best place because all my different social medias are there, are at my website, which is www.theaccidentalartist.me, just .me. And you have to have the the <laughs> for the accent of the artist. If you don't, it comes up to some other website that I think has to do with gardening or something different. <laughs> <laughs> so it's theaccidentalartist.me. And on there are, you know, um, links to my Facebooks, I have a Tutu Chic Facebook, a Sans Souci, and I have also the Accidental Artist Facebook, which is actually my teaching Facebook. And then I have, uh, I'm on Instagram as the Accidental Artist with the little spaces between the words. And then I'm on Pinterest, which I do love Pinterest. There's so much great dance content on there. Yes, there is. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And uh, I'm on YouTube. I only really got on YouTube in order to be able to put videos up on my website because they come out better. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm eventually thinking of maybe doing some, um, well, I have a few ballet conditioning ones on there, but I'm even thinking of doing some ballet technique ones eventually, but this has just all been happening so fast. I didn't, I didn't expect, well, I should, my personality, <laughs> I should have expected to kind of go crazy. I did a little bit. <laughs> well, we like this craziness because all okay. this great content is coming from all oh, the craziness that's going on. So, so I sweet. love it. Oh, that's yeah. I'm just amazed that, that you found me. I'm really thankful. And 
pleasure to meet you and, and know you're doing such good work. I'm so happy that we connected. And thank you so much, Sarah, for your time and for sharing your insights and your expertise. And I'm going to link all of this on the show notes. And thank you so much again for being on this podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing for dance. Thank we you. It. If you are an entrepreneur, how have you combined your interests into your business or have you separated them and are just focusing on one? I would love to hear about what you're doing and you can go to AnnetteBone.com forward slash 060 where you can also find the show notes to this session. And if you found this podcast helpful, and if you've listened to any of the other sessions and found them helpful, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you do it through iTunes, it would be really helpful if you went through the Apple Podcast app. And that way, the word can continue to get out about the podcast. And I would love to give you a shout out on a future session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Until next time, I pray that you have an exceptional week and more blessings than you can imagine. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettebone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by AnnetteBone.com and Dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.